www.netivyah.org. The Basics of Faith, a five-part series recorded February 1994 in North Atlanta Church of Christ, part five of five. This is the last one of these luncheons that we're having, and I still want to deal with the, ba- the basic building blocks of faith. And uh, I want to say a few words as an introduction to this last one. The church cannot grow by just allowing the preachers and the elders and the deacons and the pulpit preachers and the youth ministers and the educational ministers do the work. The only way that the church will grow is when the members do the work. Now, why are not why the member are not the members evangelizing in our days? They are. Some are. I'm making a generalization and not including everybody in it, but in general, most of the members in the churches of Christ have never brought a single soul to the Lord. Most. Am I right or wrong? If I'm wrong, correct me, because I may, you know, I may be uh, working under a false premise. Now, why not? The reason that we're not doing it is because when we have tried to do it, I I presume that every Christian has tried to bring somebody to the Lord. But when we have tried to do it, we immediately got shot down. We were offered answers. We had questions that we had no answers for. We were given responses that we didn't know how to deal with. Am I right? It was an embarrassing thing because we told people we're not a denomination and we don't belong to a denomination and yet they pointed to us that we are a denomination. In fact, some accused us of being a cult for saying we are the only ones that are saved and we are the only ones who know anything about the Bible and and this has shut us down and has prevented us from having the courage to go and speak to other people about God, about Jesus, and about our church. Am I right or wrong? Help me. How many of you have tried to evangelize and weren't successful and got shot down? So it shows that I was right. Uh, this is very important because the subject that I think is one of the basic building blocks of faith for Christians is to have a hands-on faith, hands-on Christianity. And that means that they have to evangelize. Now I want to share with you a small section from the second epistle to the Corinthians. There's a lot of passages I could have chosen. But I think that this, this passage gives us a little bit textual evidence and, and a philosophy that will help you to evangelize. Now, but before we even look at the text of chapter 4 and 2 Corinthians, I want to say these things. We all want to do the will of God. One can't be a Christian unless he wants to. But we don't all feel that we can do it. Because we have limited the doing to certain aspects of professionalism. Somebody told me yesterday, I just can't witness to anybody because I don't know how to do it. And we have allocated this work of evangelism to people who have 
trained and studied to evangelize. Right? Now, in my opinion, that's a fallacy. It's a false view of looking at evangelism. Evangelism is not something you do, it's something you live. It's a lifestyle and not a chore. I, I may not make much sense to you guys, but evangelism is a lifestyle that, that causes people to ask you, what is this hope that is within you? And when they ask you, you give them an answer. Yeah? And, and uh, this has to do with the lesson that I gave on the first Sunday I was here from the book of Hebrews, that we have to be outside the camp. If you're outside the camp enough, people will ask you, what are you doing out there in left field? You know? Why aren't you coming and join us? How come when everybody's down, how come you're up? Why are you happy, yeah, under the circumstances that you live? That is the lifestyle of the believer. The second thing that I want to say is that in the restoration movement in general, we have made a very, very bold claim. Our eschatology, you know, the way we believe that the world will be saved, puts a big monkey on our back because we believe that the world will be saved through the foolishness of preaching don't we? we don't believe that the world will be saved automatically we don't believe that we will be saved just because we are good people we, are, we believe that the world will be saved through preaching and through hearing the gospel so evangelism becomes a very, very important aspect of our Christian life. It's a part of our obedience to God. And therefore, evangelism is not an option for those who want to you know, be committed to restoring the early church. It is a must. Now, first Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I have a brand new Bible that I got as a gift from either from Bill or from the church. I don't know who paid for it. <laughs> <coughs> Probably the church. <laughs> I know Bill. <laughs> but thank you anyway, anyway, Bill. And the church. Now this is a proper Bible. It's the King James. All right, King Yaakov. Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, which ministry? The ministry of reconciliation that he talked about in chapter 3. Yeah. It's the ministry of reconcile between men and God. So he's talking to the believers, to the church, and says, Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not. That means we're not getting weak but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth. That has to do with what I've been speaking yesterday and the day before. We're interested in the truth, in the historical, provable, empirical truth as much as we can. Our faith is not based on conjecture yeah. or deceitful manipulation. It is based on truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid of them that are lost. Now, hid in the sense, if people can't see our gospel, yeah, they can't see it because they are lost. And lost here doesn't mean that they have not heard the gospel and therefore lost. means here those who have rejected the gospel, who have had an opportunity to hear the gospel and have chosen 
to be lost. Yeah. That's what it means in, in this context. Uh, because the view, the biblical view of the gospel is that the gospel is a watershed. We preach the gospel, that may sound funny to you guys, but we preach the gospel not only to get people saved. <coughs> we preach the gospel to separate between the sheep and the goats. Yeah? The gospel is the cutting edge of God's knife. And it is designed as much as to save those who seek the truth and seek God's righteousness as to them, those that, those that are in darkness and choose to remain in darkness. And that is what the, the Apostle Paul writes to the Thessalonian church when he says, those that hated the truth and chose to believe a lie have been given to a great delusion. Yeah. You know, God gave him even a greater life so, so that they might believe it and be damned. This is a very important aspect of evangelism and the gospel. When we preach the gospel, and we're not talking about our private gospel, and I'm not talking about the doctrines of the Church of Christ. That's not the gospel. That's what we've been teaching. Yeah? That's what we've been calling the gospel. Yeah, the gospel is Jesus Christ that died, was buried, and raised from the grave in order to give life to all those that follow Him. Amen. That's the gospel. Yeah. We're not converting people to baptism, nor to the Lord's Supper, nor to instrumental music. That's not what we are converting the people to. You know, the, the, These things are not going to save anybody. They're important. I don't think that we ought to take them lightly. But that's not the message of salvation. We don't ought not to throw them away because they are byproducts of our salvation. But they're the byproduct. They are not the message. They are not the message. They are the byproduct. And so it's important for us to understand what are we calling the world to. We're calling it to Jesus Christ. Yeah. I have never had problem with, with, with people who don't, don't come from a Christian background, Jews or Arabs, to convince them to be baptized. My problem has been to convince them that Jesus is the Messiah. Yeah. That the New Testament is the Word of God. Once they believe that Jesus is the Messiah and the New Testament is the Word of God, it's obvious that they need to be baptized. Yeah? The only people I've had trouble convincing that they need to be baptized are Lutherans. Yeah? <laughs> that already believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. I've had trouble because somebody else had already plowed their fields and sown the tares. That's why I had trouble. But if you go and convince people that, that, that Jesus Christ is the Messiah and that God loves the world and that there is redemption in faith through grace in the Messiah, then these things will fall in place if somebody else doesn't, you know, sow tears in their field. That's, that's my opinion. So, that's what it means. Yeah? The, verse 3. Our gospel, if the gospel is hid. If somebody can't see our gospel, it is hid to them that are lost. In the sense, those who have chosen to be lost. And there are people like that. In whom the God of this world had blinded the minds of them which believe not. And that's a proof that lost there is not just a person who never heard the gospel. But it's a person who the God of this world blinded. That they should believe not. Lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ. Who is the image of God. Should shine unto them. Yeah. In other words they have chosen. And blinded their minds. Because they did not want to see the light. Now remember what I'm going to say. There are people who have actively chosen to do so. 
Not every man in the world wants to be saved. Or woman. There are people who have chosen to, to walk in darkness, to worship Satan, yeah. and to be evil in their life. It is very naive kind of Western mindset that everybody wants God and wants good and wants to love his neighbor and wants to do what is right. It's not true. There are people who are called the sons of perdition in the King James Version. Yeah? Like Simon the Sorcerer and others. The sons of perdition who not only don't want to have the light that will do everything to keep others from seeing the light. Not everybody lives his life in good faith and wants the light. And here we see people like that. In the Thessalonian epistle we see people like that. And it, when we evangelize, we need the discernment to know who are the pigs in front of whom we don't need to cast the pearls. Is it, is it the first time you heard this thing? Huh? No, I'm serious. Is it the first time you heard this thing in a lesson on evangelism? Didn't the Lord said, beware, don't cast your pearls before swine? Yeah. That means that there is swine. And it's not only on people's plates. Some walking too. And that we have to beware not to cast our pearls in front of people like that. And for that we need really the discernment of the Holy Spirit. Okay, continue. Verse 5. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord. And ourselves, your servants, for Jesus' sake. Now this is goes back to what I said earlier. We are not preaching the church of Christ. Yeah. We have to understand this very, very clearly. Our message is not the church. I told long time ago. I said, I feel fortunate that I got to know Jesus before I got to know the Christians. Had I got to know the Christians first, I probably would have never had the fortitude to accept Jesus. I've been too weak. And I feel very fortunate that I got to know Jesus first. And, and, and it's not too late for any of you to still get to know Jesus. And so this is very important. He says we are not preaching ourselves. We are not preaching our club, our church, our building. We're not preaching our pastor. Yeah. In, in many of the Christian groups, oh, you ought to come and hear our pastor. Oh, our pastor. Well, you should see what our pastor does. And a lot of these groups that are very successful in America, it is a personality call of the pastor, whom usually they don't know at all. They just see him on the stage. Yeah. They have never been to his house. They don't even know where he lives. And his phone number is unlisted. <laughs> you know? I mean, this is the case with a lot of these very big television ministries and all these people who require of you uh, faith and giving and all this. You, they're not accessible. You have to, you know, knock on 15 secretaries' doors before you reach them, and then you find out they're playing golf in Acapulco. <laughs> I'm saying that from experience. Now, I'm living in Jerusalem, you get to meet a lot of people. And since our congregation in Jerusalem is like an aquarium, we're like the fish in an aquarium because it is well known around the world in the whole evangelical, charismatic, Pentecostal world our and messianic 
Jewish congregation. Our congregation is known as a model of the early church. We are the only ones that want to, to return and be like the early church, and that's our like trademark in our congregation in Jerusalem. And so a lot of these people, very famous television evangelists and non-television evangelists and non-evangelist television personalities, <laughs> you know, uh, they come and visit our congregation. And we have opportunities to meet them and to get to know them and sometimes to even help them. Yeah. Uh, i tell you one, one story, an anecdote uh, that, that happened. Have you heard of the power team? The power team that appear on, uh, on uh, Crouch's show, TBN. Right? One day I get a, uh, early in the morning I get a phone call from my friend from Dallas, uh, Jimmy McClintock. And he says, Joe, do me a favor. The power team and Paul Crouch are in Jerusalem at the Hilton and they're having some real serious problems. The Orthodox have forbidden them from doing their show at the Hilton. They were downtown Jerusalem and they did a couple of stunts of breaking blocks or getting out of handcuffs and things like that and invited people to come to an evangelistic meeting at the Hilton. And now the Orthodox are giving them a hard time and they're afraid and they don't know how to approach it and would you go and help Paul Crouch and the power team? I said, I, I can't. He said, why can't you? I said, I promised today to take my wife out for lunch. At the Hilton. So Jimmy said, well, if they call you and invite you and pay for your lunch, can you go over there and help them? I said, yes. See, I learned, I learned from Bill Long. And so, and so, uh, my, I took my wife out for lunch, and they paid for it, and then we sat uh, and drank coffee with this power team and Paul Crouch, and, and we, we saw how those boys ate. <laughs> One of them had three steaks, five milkshakes. I'm not exaggerating, I mean those boys ate. And they're big boys. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and, and so we helped them. You know, we told them what to say, what to witness, how, what terminology to use. And then, that night, they had their show. And there was a lot of Orthodox Jews in the crowd that had disguised themselves and worn just regular secular Israeli clothing and hidden their uh, curlicues behind their ears so that nobody would see them and they were going to disrupt the meeting and the head of this orthodox group was a woman and she was disguised but as soon as I uh, walked through the crowds and looked at them I recognized all of them because I've had a long history of, of problems with these people. The same organization. And I recognized this Judy. And so I took Paul Crouch and told him, come, I want you to meet the person who's behind this persecution. Because once you meet them and you look at their eyes, it disarms them. Yeah? If you show that you're not afraid of them and that you are ready to face them, yeah, there. Th that's how the devil is. He backs out. Anyway, so we neutralized the the problems. The only thing that they did is they left some tracks against Christianity in the foyer of the hotel, and and they didn't do anything to disrupt the the meeting after we exposed them. But but so we have an opportunity oftentimes to meet these people and to see how they live and what they do and to visit them even in the States.
Bob Crouch had invited me, by the way, which he very, very seldom does, to come to a show, to, to, to appear on TBN, and to give a, a giveaway, to give a book or something to anybody that will write in and to present our address on the thing for people to support our work. But our elders in California uh, didn't think it was a good idea for us to, to appear on that show and to appeal for financial help from uh, the people that watch TBN. Anyway, back to our text, uh, which says we are not preaching ourselves. And we are not doing anything except telling the world, <coughs> preaching that Jesus Christ the Lord. That's our message. Now, the problem that we face is what we do with other people that have the same message. Yeah. Do we join with them to say the same message? Or do we have an exclusive right on Jesus Christ as Lord? That's a question that I'm going to answer towards the end in the next few minutes. Now, here is verse 6. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, had shined in our hearts to give the light of knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. What a fabulous verse. God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined into our hearts. Right? Shine in our heart for what reason? To give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. This verse really means is that any believer and disciple of Jesus Christ who has seen the light, that's another aspect, Bill, that we need to restore. The, the biblical doctrine of enlightenment. Yeah? God enlightens the heart of men. Yeah? And when God enlightens the heart of men, all darkness is expelled. And Jesus, the face of Jesus Christ is revealed. And, and if you visit countries that are not Christian at all, Muslim, Buddhist and everything, and you see a true born-again Christian, you could recognize him in a crowd of a hundred. You would see it in his face. There is a different expression to a person who has the light of God shining in his heart. Yeah? It, it's hard to tell in the West because there are so many Christians. And so many people that have the light of God. Yeah? So it gets kind of faded away. It's like having a candle in bright sunshine. Yeah? But in a place where there is dark, then you can see it. And, and it, that's what it says. That through the knowledge of the glory of God that is in our heart, we shine, we reflect the face of Jesus Christ. What a wonderful thing. If you reflect the face of Jesus Christ, people will want to know what is it in you that does so. Verse 7. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the ex excellency of the power may be of God and not of ourselves, of us. Folks, earthen vessels means pottery. That's what it means. God calls us pottery. Yeah. That's what it means, earthen vessels. It goes back to very ancient Semitic legends of how man was created. Canaanite. That then the book of Genesis modified and gave us the true story of the creation of men. And in the book of Genesis, 
How was man created? God created, I know that. How did God create man? From the dust of the earth, in other words, from the clay. Yeah? So God took a lump of clay and made it into a man and breathed in his nostrils God's own spirit. And the man became a living soul. So when Paul uses this terminology, he says, we have this treasure. Which treasure? The light of Jesus Christ in our heart. That's the treasure. Yeah? In earthen vessels. Now, in the ancient, anywhere you visit in Islam, you walk in the hills, all of a sudden you see in the mountains little piece of pottery in the fields. What do you know when you see these pieces of pottery. You, you, you know, you know that at one time there was a village or a house or a city in that spot. Because pottery in the ancient world was like plastic in the 20th, 20th century. Everything was made from pottery. Glass was very rare. Only very wealthy people had glass. Yeah. And people had pottery. They ate from pottery dishes, they drank from pottery cups, they stored their food in pottery jars, their water, their wine, their wheat, their oil, everything was stored in pottery. It was the, the, the canning and uh, storage and the bottling facilities. They had Coca-Cola in pottery. <laughs> That's what there was. And pottery was disposable. Yeah? It was disposable. It wasn't very expensive. Every village had a potter's shop in the village that kept turning the, 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 the utensils out for the use. And it was disposable. You couldn't purify it. You couldn't use it for another use. In other words, if you used a, 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 a jar of pottery for pickling, you couldn't then put milk in it. Because pottery was porous. Still is. Yeah. And in the Middle East they didn't start using glazes till a whole lot later. And the ancient world was porous. And so if you use it for pickling and then put milk in it, then the milk soured because inside the pores of the material there was still acidic acid or something else that was used for the pickling. Yeah. And so it was disposable. It was cheap. And here says Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that God put this treasure, the light, in the face of Jesus Christ, in earthen vessels. Yeah? And we are disposable. We're not disposable for God because our soul is eternal and it will never die. But our bodies, our lives are disposable. What is man that thou art mindful of him? Yeah. He is but like the, the grass of the field. Today he is blooming and green. And tomorrow he withers and is cast into the fire. We are taking ourselves too seriously in this life. Yeah. Who are we? We are nothing. On the one hand, we're nothing. And on the other hand, the Apostle Paul in the Bible tells us that God put in us His own light and gave us the face of Jesus Christ. He gave us an eternal soul. So this is wonderful. Yeah? That's what we are, earthen vessels. And we must not forget that. What for? That the ex excellency of the power may be of God and not of ourselves. That's why evangelism is important. That's why soul winning is important. That's why we ought to try again even if we fail. But this time, do it this way. I could continue the text and tell you wonderful things, but our time is up. This time when you evangelize, do it this way. Talk to people about God and about Jesus. Yeah? And if they ask you questions, 
that you don't know the answer, tell them, I don't know the answer. But I know a place that you could find the answer out. Come with me to church. And if it's not near a place where there is a congregation, tell them, I know somebody that can give you the answer. Why don't you come with me and talk to my preacher? Yeah? We have to drum up work for Bill. <laughs> He's already working very hard. But he will be glad at any time to share, he or other people here on the staff, to share with anybody that you will bring to him. Don't think that you have to know all the answers. The people that, that, that evangelize the most sometimes are people that don't know the answers, but they know where to find somebody that does know. I haven't gone out to look for prospects for many, many years. The people in our congregation bring them over. And they tell them exactly this. I don't know, but I know somebody who does. And there is no shame in that. Yeah? There are some people who are better in math and others are better in other things. And there are people who have studied the Bible all their life. And that's how they make their... Uh, God provides them with their livelihood. And there is no shame in telling somebody, I don't know the answer, but I know somebody who does. Yeah? And in that sense, that's a very simple and a practical way that you can evangelize. And that you must evangelize. I have... I think it's time for me to quit because people have to go to work. But if anybody wants to leave, they can leave. If anybody wants to ask a question, ask. Yes, sir. First, both as a Christian and as a Jew, I will tell you, we have nothing against lists of rules and regulations. The Bible is full of them, in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. Yeah? The problem is not the list. Let's not throw away the Word of God in order to fight grace in the eyes of people. Yeah? The problem is the problem of attitude. We are not saved by keeping commandments. Yeah. But there are commandments. We are not saved the way one of our Orthodox Jewish brothers by the name of David, Vaktor, said it to me many years ago. He said, we are not saved by, by works yeah. and by keeping commandments. But after you get saved, if you don't keep commandments, you have never been saved. Do you understand the difference? You're not saved by keeping commandments, but if you never do anything for God, or never do anything right according to God's instruction, then you're not saved. With all the grace in the world won't help you. Yeah? And, and I think that we need, we need to understand this. Yes, the churches of Christ have become legalistic. And what they have done is they've kept the commandments like the Israelites did in the days of Isaiah. And God told Isaiah in chapter 1, Who asked you to come and trample my courts? Courts of the temple. Who told you to keep the feasts and the holidays and the Sabbaths and the new moons and the fast days? Who asked you to come and sacrifice to me? Your sacrifices and your keeping of these commandments makes me sick. I want to vomit. That's what God said. The reason is that you don't have a relationship with me. You don't even know me. And you think that you can buy me with your feasts and moons, new moons and sacrifices. I'm not for sale. I paraphrase what Isaiah said. But that's really what he meant. And he said the same thing to Jeremiah and to Hosea. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. We're not buying God off 
by having, you know, uh, somebody dunk us. You know? I in Israel, if I was in Israel, not here. I often I tell people, if you're going to be baptized without a sincere submission to God and to His will, it's better for a dog to pee on you and get you wet than to be baptized. Because it is an abomination to God to keep His commandments without having a relationship with Him and without knowing Him. It is an attempt to buy His favor by our works. And that doesn't work. It never has worked. In the days of Moses, Isaiah, Jeremiah, or the Apostle Paul, or today, we're not buying God off by doing anything for Him. Remember Paul and Marisila said, For God is not worshipped in buildings made with men's hands, by gold or by silver. You can't buy God off because He gives you life and breath. And every step you take and every, every move you make is by His grace. Yeah. He doesn't need your money or your time. He needs you. And the essence of it is that we have forgotten this aspect. And we've got to restore it. To restore it into the church, but without giving up the obedience to God's commandments. Yes? The indwelling of the Holy Spirit activated at baptism? The indwelling of the Holy Spirit is it activated by baptism. That's the normal response in my opinion, it is the normal response with the purification of the soul. The forgiveness of sins comes the Holy Spirit. Now there are exceptions. We have the exception of Cornelius. And there are exceptions today in my opinion. Because people oftentimes have not been taught what really happens in baptism. Then many times in the evangelical world, whether it is Baptist Churches of Christ or Pentecostals, they have to receive the Holy Spirit in a second washing. Not second baptism, but a second baptism of the Spirit. So that they will then realize what power God has put in their disposal. And that's my opinion, based on the exception. Yeah, uh, there was a hand here, and then you can. Yes, um, I have been exposed to the, uh, the teaching of the Church of Christ for the last, uh, I think, 13 years. But uh, in my experience in evangelizing, I have found that I have to uh, try to, to defend the role of the Church of Christ, or try to isolate the role of the Church of Christ as opposed to those who consider themselves Church of Christ. And first, as I understand that there is a Church of Christ called the Atlanta Church of Christ, here we are in the North Atlanta Church of Christ. Well, we know what, what they teach us, you know. Uh, yeah, well, I understand you, Antonio. You are saying that the name Church of Christ has become an embarrassment in the United States. Is that what you're saying? Well, particularly to me. To you? There are others here who feel that way. You know, and I don't want to feel that way because I'm, I'm comfortable and I'm glad that I approach God through this path, you know. Yeah. But how do I, how do I convince... In the Jewel, in the Jewel Miller film strips... If I remember them correctly, Jewel Miller said that true Christians can be called in any of the biblical names. Church of God, Church of Christ, the Vineyard of the Lord, and he lists there a lot of names. Now, one of the signs that we are becoming or have already become and have settled into a denominational framework is that if anybody calls himself by any other name except Church of Christ, in spite of the Jewel Miller film strip, we will write him off. Isn't that true? And it's a shame that we have dragged the name Church of Christ, which is a good biblical name, appearing two times in the New Testament, into the mud. Maybe it's time to get, up, get it out of the mud and wash it and purify it again and wear it with pride. That's my attitude. Yes, Jim. I was going to say, I'm like him and one of those who was evangelized into the church. I didn't grow up in the church and had no contact with it until I was uh, 18. 
but it was when I was introduced into the church, it was here's the good news. The good news is now you can be better than all the other people out there who call themselves Christians because here are the proper ways to do things. And now you can earn your way to heaven by doing these things right and going to church every Sunday night. And that's the way I believe. And it took me eight years of that to, come, to climb out of that and to come to a relationship with God like you were talking about that second washing. And, but I look at some of the things that we're doing now. We talk about this, and I think a lot of us understand that. But I'm afraid some of the materials that we're sending out around the world are not what we want to be sending and saying to people because it's talking about the form and doing all those things and almost putting salvation into a works. Well, I'll tell you that, Ken. Only one thing. If you bought into that, then you're more gullible than I thought you were. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Jesus Christ, my sister used to say before she became a believer, Miskem Yeshu, you know, poor Jesus, or how should I say it in English, Ernie? You know, yeah, I'd say you'd say, poor Jesus, you know, yeah, I have pity on Jesus, I have pity on Jesus, she used to say, you know, because all kinds of people, uh, Use his name for whatever. Yeah? Jesus is not to blame. And uh, there was time for refreshment. This Conrad walks up to Professor Flusser. And in German, they asks him, Herr Professor, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the Son of the Living God? Now, Professor Flusser was in public. Everybody was around him. And he's a very nervous person. So he started acting never very nervous and biting himself and shaking. And finally, after a minute of shaking from nerves, he collected himself and said, Heil Hitler! And the German was then shook up himself. And he said, I said, I believe that Jesus of Nazareth is my Führer, that he is my general, and I try to live my life according to his instructions, but I know that for you as a Christian, that will not be enough. Conrad said, no, it is not enough. You have to believe that he is the Messiah, the Son of the Living God. Luther said, I know that you hold that. But that's the problem with you Christians. You want to believe in Jesus as your God, but you are not willing to keep His commandments. You are not willing to obey Him and walk and listen to His instructions. Yes. You believe in Him, but you don't give a hoot. He used another word. For what He teaches. Yeah. And in that sense, a lot of Christians are that way. Yeah. They say they believe in Jesus, but they don't want to keep his commandments. And I say that if we really make Jesus the Lord of our life, we will keep his commandments. If the Holy Spirit is in us, we will do his will. Yeah. To end, just the continuing verses of Second Corinthians 4. From verse 8, we are troubled in every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of our Lord Jesus. That the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our bodies. God bless you. Amen. Or just the word maybe for the benefit of some who may not have been around churches of Christ all your life the reason that Joseph is affiliated with the church of Christ and the reason that I am that's the best alternative we can find and, in, and so what we're saying is that while we point up areas of weakness 
and areas that we need to keep on working through and working on, we still believe that for trying to restore New Testament Christianity, trying to be, let Jesus be our Lord, that this is the best place we can be. Amen. <laughs> and, and, I, and, I, and I think that as we work through difficulties that some of us have had and others have had, that we never forget uh, as we're working through those, at the same time, all that, uh, that it has meant in the, on the positive side as well and continues to mean as we seek to serve the Lord. And in, and in most of the churches in America and denominations, you couldn't speak in self-deprecating way like you can in our own right. brother. Exactly. They'll kick you out. The pastor will make sure that you'll never step a foot in that place. So praise God for our brother, for our brother. And not because of what he just said, but this is his last luncheon with us. <laughs> uh, just a reminder, he will be speaking, Joseph will be speaking uh, Sunday here at our services, 9 o'clock, 10.15, and 6 o'clock. Pharisees and Sadducees, what impact do they have, have they had on us and do they have on us today? So we hope that you'll want to be with us all day long Sunday. Thank you for being here and have a good afternoon. Nativia, www.netivyah.org.